Hi, everybody. Well, let's do a little instant reaction on the Evan Roberts podcast. It, it finally happened. It was rumored for days and days and days. But the New York Mets and Stephen A. Cohen and Sandy Alderson have made a rather significant move. It's not George Springer. It's not Trevor Bauer. But it is James McCann. Four-year, $40 million deal. couple of thoughts. When... I put together my wish list, if you will, my somewhat realistic wish list for what the Mets should do in this offseason. James McCann was my number one catching target, not because James McCann is Johnny Bench, not because he's better than JT Realmuto, but even though there's a billionaire owner owning the New York Mets, there had to be some sense of realism to this. You know, you can't just have assumed, and I certainly didn't, that, well, they're just going to buy every big-time free agent. They're going to sign Real Muto, Bauer, Springer, and DJ LeMayhew, and Brad Hand, and let's call it a day. There is still going to be a budget. Let's learn something from our friends in the Bronx. The New York Yankees have a huge payroll. There is a budget. So, to me, I look at JT Real Muto, clearly the best catcher on the market, but I realize he's going to get $100 million. And that's what I think on the surface, it looks like he's going to get. Now, who knows what happens to his market now that the Mets are out of the mix. But I looked at JT Realmuto. I see a guy past 30 years old, a guy who had a tough time staying healthy last year. And I wonder to myself, do I really want to pay a guy like that $100 million over five years? Am I comfortable with that? And the answer is not really. Now, look, here's the thing with James McCann. And you're going to hear a lot about this over the next few days. And that's what he's been over the last two years. Yeah. When you sign a free agent, and we kind of had to learn this with the whole Zach Wheeler contract with Patrick Corbin, you're not paying for the guy's resume because James McCann's resume and JT Realmuto's resume and George Springer's resume mean very little to me. It's all about what are you going to do as a New York Met? I'll never forget when the Mets signed Carlos Beltran and anyone would ever cite what he did for the Astros in the postseason. Well, he didn't do it as a Met. And I get that. I mean, that's a guy's resume. It's a part of, you know, the facts you use around signing a guy. But it's all about what is that guy going to do for me over the next four or five years? So in James McCann's case, yes, he was an average to below average catcher for the first five or six years of his career. I got a buddy of mine. He's a big Tiger fan. James McCann was a Detroit Tiger. And he was texting me a few days ago. I still can't believe James McCann is regarded the way he's regarded. Well, That would be like me and you saying the same thing about Travis Darno. Is Travis Darno a different player today than what he was four years ago? Yeah. And so what I'm banking on, and clearly what Sandy Alderson is banking on, is that the James McCann over the last two years with the Chicago White Sox is the kind of guy, and maybe even better, who knows, gets better with age, that's the kind of guy you're paying for over the next four years. You're paying for what you think a guy's going to be. I've got concerns Not that Real Muto isn't better than McCann. He is, but again, much different contract. And even though Steve Cohn owns the team, we can't just look at everything and say, ah, money, years, they don't matter. Now, they're still going to matter. They'll matter less now because the Wilpons don't own the team, but they're still going to matter. So long story short, I like the fact they signed James McCann. Four years, $40 million, is that too much? Look, here's how I view James McCann. Short-term and long-term over the next four years. Be my catcher 
Build off of what we saw in 2019, really the first half of 2019. Build off of what you did in 2020 for the next two and a half, three years. Because I've got a top prospect in Francisco Alvarez who will eventually, hopefully, in a perfect world, take that job. So McCann's my guy for the next two to three years, and then maybe final year of that contract, I got this really overpaid backup catcher, which I'll be okay with because I've got a starting catcher who's going to make nothing. Now, one thing that's not talked about anymore, and I still believe in this, it's still real to me, damn it, is an ability to throw a guy out stealing second base. It's never talked about anymore when we discuss defensive catchers. Now it's always pitch framing. And I don't want to minimize pitch framing. I may minimize the stats that have been developed to try to kind of analyze it, but pitch framing matters. I mean, for anyone who's old school right now that wouldn't look at any of those stats, you don't need a stat to know that you want a guy behind the plate who can steal you a strike or two. I mean, that's, that is old school. That's kind of basic. You got a guy like Jacob DeGrom on the mound. There's a big difference between three and one and two and two. There's a big difference between one and oh and oh and one. And if you've got a guy behind the plate who has developed and honed that skill to steal a strike here and there, that's significant. That can't be downplayed. Now, what I would question, and I think a lot of people would question, are the metrics that are used to determine that. I'm not going to blindly look at pitch framing metrics and say, that's the Bible of it. That's the end all be all. But one thing I know from using a little bit of the stats, but also hearing what scouts have said, is that McCann has honed that craft. And that matters. And that's significant. There'll be a day in which it won't matter. There'll be a day in which there'll be an automative, automative, automatic strike zone, a computer strike zone, and stealing a strike won't exist. We're not at that day. So it matters. Let's not, this isn't an old school, new school debate. It matters a guy's ability to steal a strike here and there. A guy's ability to block a ball in the dirt matters. A guy's ability to have a chemistry with starting pitching matters, especially a team that's built around starting pitching. And despite, you know, what's happened over the last few years, I guess it's still stuck in my brain that the Mets are built around starting pitching when the truth is they're not as much as they used to. But if they're going to have success in the future, Jake's going to be an ace, hopefully, again, which I think we all expect. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Noah Syndergaard can come back from Tommy John and be an elite-level starter. Marcus Stroman can give you that big contract year, and hopefully Trevor Bauer. But we haven't got there yet. But throwing guys out at second base matters, and I'll tell you why. This is a rotation that over the last four years, they have been brutal at holding guys on. Now, I think that's a combination of a couple of things. I think, A, it's on the pitcher. It's on Steven Matz. It's on Noah Syndergaard. But they haven't had great catchers behind the plate. Wilson Ramos, for everything he did offensively, do you know the percentage of guys he threw out at second base trying to steal? It's pathetic. It's like 17%. The league average usually sits around 27 28%. The Mets have not had that lockdown catcher who can throw a guy out stealing in a very long time. Now, I'll admit, there are going to be times, even with the upgrade that James McCann is, and I'll get into him in a second, in which you steal a base off the pitcher. I fully understand that. But when you're in the same division as Trey Turner, and that's the guy I'll use as a specific example because he's one of the few guys in baseball nowadays 
who, when he gets on, can change a game with his running game. I know we live in a world now in which we're not dealing with the 80s Cardinals anymore. I fully understand that. Ricky Henderson's not walking through that door, but you still, in a tight, close game when it's Max Scherzer against Jacob DeGrom, you don't want Trey Turner getting on with an infield hit and then basically ending up on third base. And between the combination of the Mets starting pitching staff's inability at holding runners on and the lack of a cannon behind the plate, sometimes a Trey Turner single would basically turn into a triple. If you look at James McCann's career, not just the last two years, but his career, he has done a great job of throwing guys out at second base. And it's, it's funny, and I get why how that has been completely forgotten about when we talk about catching defense. We don't talk about that anymore. Now it's all about pitch framing. It's really just about pitch framing, but blocking balls in the dirt, stuff like that. It's one thing Gary Sanchez does really well, or at least had done very well. But I get it. If guys aren't stealing as much, and they aren't, then it matters less. Sure, it matters less, but the combination of being in the same division as Trey Turner And the combination that you already have a starting rotation that overall has not done a good job of holding guys on, having someone behind the plate who is that kind of threat is a major positive. His bat, look, here's what I want or expect from his bat. Averageness. You know what I mean? Because when you look at the way the Met lineup is shaping up, and I fully expect that George Springer is going to be on this team. That's my expectation. I expect two things. I expect George Springer is going to be on this team. And I expect that Brandon Nimmo is essentially going to be a fourth outfielder. He's going to be a valuable fourth outfielder. Because if you're playing Dom Smith in left field, which if there's no DH, you may be doing a lot of late in games. You're going to see a lot of Nimmo to left, Dom to first base. Pete Alonso out of the game. But this is going to be a good lineup, at least on paper. This is going to be a lineup that's going to feature Alonzo and McNeil and Davis and Conforto and probably Springer and Dom Smith. So your catcher and your shortstop, assuming Rosario and Jimenez are the kind of that combination of short, those are your seven, eight hitters. So really what I need from James McCann is, you know, hit me 260. Get me an on base of 320. Hit me 15 home runs. Be a respectable offensive player. And give me that upgrade defensively that the Mets have sorely need. Because the Met defense behind the plate for years has been dreadful. Now, I start by talking about Real Muto and the risks around that contract. A part of this contract, even though it's four years, $40 million, a part of this contract that appeals to me, and I'm sure will appeal to many Met fans, is the expectation that that allows you to sign George Springer and somebody significant in the rotation. And that someone significant in the rotation is Trevor Bauer. So right now, as I stare down the barrel of this 2020 offseason, get me Springer, get me Bauer, and let's go. I used to have the expectation they were going to trade for Francisco Lindor. I've I've moved away from that because I don't think Sandy's got the stomach to trade much of this farm system. And it will cost that in trading for Lindor. And if you're Steve Cohen and you've got all this gorgeous, sexy money, you're looking at the free agent landscape next year at shortstop saying, wait a second, I got another year to kind of see what Ahmed Rosario is made of, see what Andres Jimenez is made of, and if I don't like what I see, I can go sign Carlos Correa, or I can go sign Trevor Story, 
or I can go sign Corey Seager, or I can simply sign Lindor if he's still available in free agency. So I like the McCann move, but this is one gigantic puzzle, and the puzzle needs to fit. So I like the McCann move. Now, if they don't end up with other elite-level free agents, then we may look back at this and say, wait a second, four years, 40 for James McCann, Riamudo's better. I thought this was about kind of divvying up the money in another way. The other thing to keep an eye on with Riamudo, and this is the risk of signing a free agent, quote-unquote, early. And I know that middle December doesn't feel early, but it is when you look at most other free agents haven't signed. And that is... What if the Rio Muto market dries up? What if there isn't, as good as he is, a robust market for JT Rio Muto? His team, the Philadelphia Phillies, they want him back. Everything we've heard is that they're basically broke. You know, John Middleton's denying the report that they're looking to trade Zach Wheeler, but how much money do they have? How much are they willing to pay JT Rio Muto? And then you look around the league and you look at Toronto and you look at Anaheim and you say, okay, is there going to be a bidding war for JT? So one thing that, I don't know if I'd use the word scares me, but is in the back of my mind, is what if the Real Muto market just completely disappears? <laughs> and he's settling on a one-year contract. Uh, you know what I would do? I'd sign him. And I'd say, all right, James, you're my backup. You're my $10 million backup, because how can I turn down such a great deal on JT Real Muto, who we all agree is the better player. I'm just concerned about him long term. But that's always the risk you have when you sign a free agent early. So now I'm rooting for Real Muto to get a monster contract from somebody, preferably the Toronto Blue Jays. That would be the team. Go up to Canada, if they even allow them to play in Canada, and go sign a mega contract with the Toronto Blue Jays. Either way, your first significant signing in the Met offseason, unless you want to count Trevor May. James McCann, four years, $40 million. Instant reaction, Evan Roberts podcast. We'll talk a little bit about this next week, but mostly a lot of football. Carton and Roberts, 2 o'clock on the fan. See you then.